Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing. I'm He Yang. Good to have you join us today. We're diving into the heart of rural landscapes to explore the charming yet challenging realities of small rural schools, which may well be a lifeline for local kids. Yet they struggle to keep up with the big demands of education. Originally, a policy was implemented, which reduced the number of rural schools with the aim of increasing efficiency. And maximizing resources. Now, what does the future hold for small rural schools? And we share with you what's brought us joy this week, from page-turning reads to toe-tapping tunes. Essentially, what's made us happy in Roundtable's happy place. For today's program, I'm joined by Yushun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. First on today's show. The ongoing debate about the retention or closure of small schools in rural areas is a challenging one. Their small size leads to lower educational efficiency and quality, as well as decreased job satisfaction for teachers. At the same time, they're vital for local rural children. Providing nearby educational opportunities and lessening the economic strain on their families. Twenty plus years since a crucial educational reform policy has been implemented, we discuss how can we find a middle ground that addresses the accessibility of education for rural children and transforms small but exquisite schools into beacons of learning. So, the size of a rural school reflects the local demographic picture, socioeconomic conditions, possibly urbanization trajectories, as well as Education situation. So please explain the situation of rural schools in China, especially the predicament of many small and tiny ones.、Mm. The general trend has been resources converge to maximize effect, and these resources, including human resources of teaching talent and students. Uh, economic funding, infrastructure, etc. So a number of small and medium-sized rural schools merged into. "Quote unquote super schools, which enjoys, if not best, but better teachers, better students, and a greater number of students, and better infrastructure such as library, swimming pool, and race tracks. So this means some families will move to more populated areas where these super schools are located, and these smaller schools in rural areas may become hollowed out. But these." Small-scale schools in rural areas still play a crucial role in facilitating the, you know, enrollment of students in remote areas and alleviating the financial burden on families. So this type of school is called the sparrow school, with a very small number of students, but all the functions and departments of a standard school. So those schools are faced with the old question: Should they be merged or turned into other things? Hmm. Josh, you're from the UK. Do you see a similar situation at all? Or, I mean, when it comes to the difference of rural and urban education, there could be quite a big gap. But in China, we see that one of this、uh, effort to shorten that gap is basically to maximize the. Resources for these、uh, super schools, if not magnet schools, because you know it 
attracts all this resources and also students to it. And thus, students do get a better education as a result. But whereas, you know, the other side of the coin is, what about the smaller schools? And um, do you see a similar discussion or concerns in your country? Yeah, definitely. I think the UK is actually quite varied because it's dependent, like in China, on a lot of different factors, such as various different government policies. There'll be local government, local council policies and um, different uh, degrees of community engagement. There's a lot of areas in my own country that are rural, but they're actually pretty affluent areas. In fact, some of the most affluent areas, um, if you were to take it, you know, by income person to person are rural areas. And so those rural schools do have incredible resources. And some of the factors that may seem like negatives um, for example, you know, um, a, a lack of uh, in less students attending the school, right? Less and less students attending the school. This can be a bad thing, but having less students can also be a good thing if the school has enough money because it means that there's a lower teacher to student ratio, right? So it really depends on the resources, as you mentioned. But in the UK, there are school closures um, similar to China. The UK has seen a trend of school closures in rural areas and this is mainly driven by declining student enrollment because the less students there are, the more budget constraints there are. And, um, you know, uh, government policies are always trying to consolidate their resources. So, um, and government policy as well, uh, they've played a sh significant role. Um, the UK has had some initiatives. One of them is called academization. The UK has an initiative such as academization. What this basically means is that schools are converted into what we call in English academies. And academies, the main difference that they have is that they have a lot more autonomy over their operations. So they could be schools that specifically focus on certain things. Um, I went to a school, for example, that focused more on science. And that's not to say that it neglected the other subjects, but it just had more resources focused on that area of study. So things like this can happen. Schools can come together. This has also happened. I went to a rural school myself, and there's a lot of rural schools um, where I'm from. And some of the schools that were struggling ended up merging together, which wasn't very uh, pretty, to be honest, when it happened. It comes with a lot of issues. So a lot of similar challenges in the UK. Mm. What issues arised at the time? Can mm. you give us some examples? Sure, sure, sure. Well, there's actually quite a lot of community resistance um, because, of course, there are schools that may be extremely close together geographically. So they, they're um, in very close proximity to each other physically, but they're going to be very different in their quality. And one thing I can give you one example that happened in my hometown, um, and I won't name the schools, but... Uh, one of the one of them was the school that I went to, which at the time when I first attended, which was quite a long time ago, um, was one of the best schools in that area. Um, but and then there was a school literally we shared the same school field. It was just divided by a little wooden fence, right? And that school adjacent to us was not doing very well at all. In fact, it was um, one of the worst schools in that area of the UK in terms of academic performance, right? And so that school ended up doing so badly that it had to merge with my school. This happened after I left, actually. Consequently, it was all quite a big mess. I think a lot of parents were quite angry about this because suddenly the school that they'd 
uh, managed to get their child into was no longer the same school, right? And so, and and then teachers changed, principals changed a lot. There was a lot of issues because it was just a big mess, really. And you had these two schools that were struggling, um, one trying to pull the other one up and the other sort of pulling the other one down. And it was, uh, it was just logistically, it just didn't work at all. And it ended up with both schools going into what we call special measures, um, which is something that would have been unbelievable when I started at that school. But yeah, within about 15 years, it was in special measures. Um, so this is kind of one of the things that can happen. It's quite a delicate balance, I think, you know, and, and schools put a lot of effort into maintaining that balance. Yeah. Well, here in China, we see that the top concern or determining factor for whether the school should be merged or just closed off altogether is whether you have enough students attending. And yeah. yeah and what is the situation for these smaller schools these days? And when we say small school, usually it's um, at least 100 people who are attending mm. them, but there are these also tiny schools, which um, Lu Xun referred to as sparrow schools, which mm. uh, might only have a handful or 10 students enrolled. How are they doing? Yeah, the fact is that they may become emptier. And, um, you know, with the revolution of Chinese modernization and urbanization, rural schools gradually become hollowed out as what I just said, right? According to data from the China Rural Education Development Report 2017, there were nearly 90,000 rural teaching sites nationwide in 2016, and a total of 123,100 small-sized schools with fewer than 100 students nationwide. That is a decrease of 370,000 from the previous year. And that's accounting for nearly 45% of the total number of elementary school and teaching sites. So in some rural areas, the total number of students may even below 10. And also another thing is that that is quite, I think, similar to what Josh just said, you know, the aging teaching faculties and underdeveloped rural education, which means the quality of the education in these rural areas. For example, some of the teachers may age around 50 to 60 and they're about to retire. And another thing is that um, the students are not that many in that area and um, the teaching experience and also the learning experience will not be that good. And another thing is the facility and infrastructure in the area is well maybe underdeveloped and um, all in all result in, you know, the education quality may not as satisfactory as what we have in urban areas. And certainly not even in some of the other parts of the rural areas, because, mm. you know, you've got these um, places which are usually a little bit more populated in rural areas with mm. these super slash magnet schools that's absorbing the good teachers, the better resources and all that. And then... Yeah. Are we kind of seeing the Matthew effect of accumulated advantage in play? I mean, the good schools get better and the smaller schools get in worse shape? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that one of the main issues, I mean, it's just deeply tied to economic development, isn't it? Because a lot of these cities that we see, and especially in China, the the rate at which so many of these big cities have developed is really incredible. And I think that when it comes to resources, you can feel it. I mean, a lot of people 
I think I didn't realize that China still had a lot of areas that were still developing until being here for a few years and having traveled around to some different areas. And my idea of China certainly was having been to all of the major, most of the major developed cities, um, at least south of Beijing, I, I found, wow, all of these cities are just so developed and um, the resources seem amazing, not just the school resources, but the travel infrastructure, public transport, hospitals, everything. And then you go to other parts of China, you realize, wow, it really is a completely different world here. And so I think that this is what's happening. And I don't know if in the short term, it's going to get any easier for these rural schools. I imagine in the long term, it will resolve itself, or at least I certainly hope it will. But for now, mm -hmm. it, the effect that you mentioned, that the Matthew effect, right? Mm -hmm. I think that certainly is what's happening here. Um, Different countries have different situations, right? As I mentioned in my own country, it is a slightly different situation because a lot of these rural schools in the UK, also a lot a lot less people there, but a lot of the rural schools are really historic and they're deeply tied into the sort of aristocracy and upper class of, of the United Kingdom. And if you go to one of the quote unquote best schools in the UK, it probably will feel pretty rural, to be honest. Um, so it's quite different in that sense, right? Yeah, and also rural means very different things in different countries' context as well. Yeah, good and point. Yeah, here in China, I think rural for most people it still means less developed, and um, in a way, unfortunately, but this is um, sort of just uh, echoing the tides of uh, demographic. Also, migration that is nowadays in rural areas in China. Then you're seeing. A lot less people, and they've found better opportunities elsewhere, possibly in nearby townships, counties, or even big cities. And also, what I've seen in recent years that could be quite of a slightly new development of this whole situation is that I've seen these reports and sometimes anecdotes of people visiting remote areas, and sometimes they're surprised mm. that there is this very modern. Nicely constructed school building that is empty. That,、oh. due to you know the goodwill of some individuals, or sometimes it's、um, local governments managed to build a school, and the infrastructure is there in terms of you know the construction. But people moved away from that、mm. county, and therefore. It just couldn't get enough students to enroll, and therefore, there's no point to keep it running. And this could really be a complex situation because, like, every school is facing a different situation in that sense. And it's probably a good time to also give a little bit of a review and recap of a rural education policy that came out around 2001, and we're seeing different adjustments and. Amendments along the way in the last twenty plus years, and、um, walk us through the twists and turns of、uh, this very important educational policy of the rural areas, which involves closure and merger.、Mm, of course, this policy integrating of originally fragmented rural education resources through. Mergers into urban schools and removal of sparrow schools, enhancing faculty ability to improve the quality and effectiveness of rural education. So, in the first ten years, actions were taken place massively and effectively, as is estimated by the end of 2013, over 300,000 original rural schools have become parts of urban schools. 
But this massive change has not only resulted in the need for you know rural students to commute long distance or studying boarding schools, and this aggravating the burden of educational expenditure on families. Right? It is increasing the pressure on students to study or commute and maybe dropout rate. And also with the removal of some village elementary schools and township secondary schools. The groups of teachers have left the village, and some school-aged adolescents are also absent from village life most of the time. And this is accelerating the loss of vibrance of village life and culture, of course. So, in September 2012, the General Office of the State Council in China issued the opinions on regulating the layout and adjustment of rural compulsory education schools, or What we call the opinion, right? So to point out that in some places during the process of these withdrawal and mergers, the planning schemes were not perfect. So the operational procedures were not standardized, and some safeguards were not in place. And this opinion called for the resolution of the problems arising from the withdrawal and merger of rural schools through some other special planning by. County-level governments and special inspections by provincial-level governments. This opinion has been described as a rational policy correction.、Mm-hmm. Well, with any policy that is implemented for more than a few months, I would think. I mean, it's important to reassess. And、mm-hmm. re-examine, see what things need to be changed to make it better. And I think we're now seeing a lot of this correctional effort that is going into it. And now, a couple of decades later, the debate over retaining or closing these schools continues. Yet, those that have managed to survive have seemingly carved out their own destinies in a way. And what factors justified the preservation of these schools, and what circumstances call for their gradual phase out? So I think that economically, it's probably not that economical to use public funds to maintain the normal operation of some of these sparrow schools, right? I think that、um, at least not for not for a long period of time.、Um, I think that、uh, certainly the school has to establish itself in the community, and it's like you know the idea that you set it up to be able to be successful on its own and to be equitable on its own. Um, which is quite difficult because it requires、uh, so many things, which we've discussed, and there's a lot of other factors as well. I mean, I briefly mentioned something like community engagement, retaining teachers, retaining high quality teachers,、yes. retaining、um, the right amount of students, and things like this. In other words, having all of the assets that allow the school to be able to sustain itself, right, rather than being sustained、um, by the state or by other funds.、Um, and I think that retaining teachers. Is really really difficult because, of course, the best teachers are going to want to go to the best schools where they can earn the best money. I think sometimes we we talk about ch- teachers as as if they're giving a charity, and I don't think that's very fair for the teachers. Right? They're still earning a living just like anybody else, and why shouldn't they want to go to a school that pays them better or something like this? I mean, yeah, maybe they are doing it because they love it, but you know. They're ju- again, they're just earning money like anybody else. So I think that we have to look at it in that way as well. Schools are, to some degree, a business, and they need to generate income.、Um, and I think that this is this is a big issue. Yes, just like what we've mentioned, that、uh, not all the policies are perfect, and it 
actually got revised, right?、Um, and there is a reason for that. That is, you know, we need to consider about the livelihood of these、uh, local people or just people in these rural areas because we need to think about the people there of their. Uh, educational equity and accessibility, right? From the perspective of people's livelihood, if we are just solely considering the economics part, is not, I think, fair to the local livelihood. You know, these the existence of these small schools is also very crucial for, I think, providing accessible education to children in these remote areas. But closure of these schools could lead to increased. For example, travel distances and、mm -hmm. expenses for families, or even some more pressure on students. And also, another thing that we need to actually think about is in a lot of these rural areas, there are elderly people that has always been living there. So, if they are left at home without care, more these things will occur, potentially impacting students' ability to attend school regularly.、Mm. When you talk about how difficult it might be to get to school. If you don't have one that's nearby, this reminds me of some people find it to be a heartwarming story, but I find it to be a heartbreaking story. Of remember a couple of、uh, winters ago, there was this little boy who entered the classroom with snowflakes and、uh, you know all this ice on his hair、mm. because he had to run through. Blistering wind in winter time for a long time just to get to school, and then I was just wondering if he has accessible education right has in his neighborhood, then he wouldn't need to go through that. But then now we're seeing another discussion that is, you know, today's rural China Sparrow School situation. That is. Some people are saying that with some of these rural communities, maybe they can afford, or at least we can talk about like public resources going to making these small schools exquisite, but also they're able to provide more of this, you know, two-person education, considering there aren't that many students to start with. So, give us some information or your thoughts about. Sort of this latest happening of the small rural schools.、Mm. I think, regardless of you know whether these sparrow schools are withdrawn or retained,、um, the actions need to be、uh, holistic and flexible, right? For example, there are some dynamic adjustment in Liu Hexu School of Hunan Province in south of China. There are only two students, but the student. Xiao Long's father and grandmother dependent on each other. The grandmother needs somebody to take care of her, right? So, for which the Xintian County in Education Bureau made a decision not to suspend the school so that they can stay in their hometown and、um, take care of their elderlies. So, on the one hand, the worries of families need need to be taken care of, and on the other hand, the treatment of teachers and the working environment also need to be improved so that. I think it is, you know, double-sided because, of course, they need better infrastructure and facility, but the teaching resources, or we say the education quality, or we say the teacher, are there. They need to be treated well, and they need to be treated equally. I think.、Mm. As we reflect on the challenges and choices surrounding small rural schools in China, we can see that these small educational institutions represent a larger narrative of change, adaptation, and resilience. And they're not just educational 
establishments, they're mirrors reflecting the shifting demographics and priorities of a nation. And the decisions we face about these schools go beyond logistics and policy. They touch the very essence of community, tradition, and equitable education.